0: This evening, let's open our Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 10. Remember, last week we looked at the, the death of, of Jezebel. That was the last thing we looked at. This woman who was a, uh, a Baal worshiper, a worshiper of really a, an entity, Baal, who was a Canaanite uh, entity, a deity. But he obviously is a false god, and and, and the Bible tells us that these gods that the Gentiles worshipped are nothing more than demons. They really are, because anything that is not God that we worship, you can rest assured that whatever it is, whatever power that thing is, or whatever it is that's drawing you to it, is not of God. And it may be a strong pull, because the devil knows that the things that glitter and that are gold are the things that get our eyes all sparkling, we run after it, right? Right? And the devil knows that. And so he is always trying to allure us uh, through the lust of our flesh, through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the the flesh, the pride of life. And he's always doing, he never stops. He will never, ever stop. And so it's important that we uh, approach the living God, Jesus Christ. We approach him and we never depart from him. And we're going to see tonight that uh, you know Jezebel, as we looked at last week, she was one of those who worshipped demons. She worshipped Baal, and they had these uh, two different calves that they that Jeroboam at the beginning of his reign, and when Israel uh, broke off from the monarchy, where it was just. David and then Solomon and then the kingdom split and then Jeroboam was ruler over the ten tribes in the north and David or Solomon and then Rehoboam Solomon's son began to reign over the southern two tribes. But Rehoboam set up two different centers of worship, which he wasn't supposed to do. And remember, he had fashioned two golden calves: one at Dan in the northern part of Israel, and then one in Bethel, more in the central part of. Of Israel, And the whole idea of doing that was to get the people who, when they used to come to Jerusalem, now you have a group of ten tribes that now didn't have to go to Jerusalem. Instead, he turned their hearts towards serving idols. And because of their background and because of the, the idolatry all around them, they took to it like a fish to water. They, they, they celebrated and they worshipped, instead of Jehovah God, they worshipped Baal and these demonic things. One of the places that we go to when we go to Israel is Dan. And it's a very interesting place, just loaded with history. But one of the, the sites that we visit is is this very place in Dan where they had the altar, to um, where they had the golden, uh, the golden calf. And you can actually go to the, the very site where they did these things. And the altar, and they, the, the rocks, many of them are gone, but they've made like a structure to where you can see what it would have looked like but that is where they would sacrifice children. They would slaughter children postpartum on this altar and, on, and, and to, to serve this golden uh, calf. They would slaughter children there and they would do these horrible things. And so, Jezebel, remember last week we found in chapter 9 that she was a, a prophetess, she was a, an instigator. In this Baal worship, she had several hundreds of prophets of Baal. And the Lord, through uh, Elijah and Elisha, had prophesied of her doom. Because isn't it true that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap? And and they may get away with it for a while, but then the, the bill comes due. And it's true. Um, we, we, We cannot think that we can continue in sin and God will just wink at it. And the problem with God's patience, the problem with God's long suffering is that he is patient and he waits and he gives us space to repent. And man, we often think of that as, well, God is condoning this because he hasn't caught, he hasn't allowed me to get busted for this. So therefore he must be okay with it. He must be condoning this activity. And we get into this mindset, well, I've been doing this for years and I haven't been caught. And then we get this funny thing in our head like God doesn't see. He doesn't, he's checked out. I, I can fool him. But don't ever think that. Because even as a child of God, he chastens those whom he loves. I've been chastened by God and perhaps you have too. As a believer, God chastens those whom he loves. And he destroys those who continue in sin that reject him to the very end. he will destroy them and will send their soul to hell. We don't like talking about that, do we? That's a message you don't hear very much in the churches in America today, that there is a heaven and a hell. And you and I, if we got our faith in Christ, we are gonna to go to heaven. Regardless of our, of our idiosyncrasies, even our weaknesses, God is working in us, but our faith is in him. It's in Jesus Christ. But there are people who can't stand Jesus. They want to be away from him. They don't want anything to do with him and his word. And at the end, if they take their last breath and they are still of that conviction, there is no way that they are going to heaven. And do you think that breaks the heart of God? Yes, it does. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance means turning around from where you're going. And before I got saved, I was going toward everything of the flesh. I was fulfilling the desires of my flesh, and you were too. Going in one direction, Then finally, I don't know how it happened, he invaded my life. I didn't even ask him. And then everything changed. The Spirit of God came in me, and I did an about-face, 180-degree turn, and I went the opposite direction toward him. That is what repentance is. Nobody likes to use that word, but that's what it is. You change, because there's a new sheriff on the altar of your heart. There's a new sheriff in town. He's got a bigger gun. Yes, the Spirit of God indwelling you, giving you that unction, giving you that that desire to turn and to walk toward Him. And boy, wonderful it is when a person gets to that place. And I am so happy to be a child of God. Are you? I am so blessed, and I am thoroughly thrilled. Even though things are difficult, even though I'm I'm you know you've heard this phrase or this uh, idiom before. You know, even though we are like these little minnows in a stream, going upstream, fighting so hard just to, you know, against the current. And then everything coming against us, the world, they're like the great white sharks coming in our direction. And, and we are like these little minnows trying to dodge these sharks. And as Christians right now, that is what it feels like. But it's not going to be that way forever. Because when the Lion of Judah sets foot on the Mount of Olives... Oh my, everything is going to change. But you and I will come back with him. We will be raptured off off this earth. Hopefully tonight, before I finish this message, the church will be transformed and taken up. As the Bible says, over and over again, replete throughout the Bible, the pre-tribulation rapture. And then, while we are in heaven with the Lord, all hell is going to break loose for seven years. The Bible tells us. You can read Revelation 6 through 19. It details what's going to happen on the earth when the church is no longer here. And God is going to pour out his wrath upon a world that has rejected him, a world that Jezebel had rejected. Or, excuse me, Jezebel completely hook, line, and sinker with the world. And so that's why we preach. That's why we share the truth with people. They need to know. And God now is pleading with his people. And for so long they were getting away and and, and falling into this idolatry. And finally God has enough. And he says, you know what? I'm done. He gave them space to repent and they would not. And so now we're seeing the fruition of those choices. You cannot Sin and expect not to get away with it. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we saw it last week with Jezebel. And so now we get into chapter 10, and let's just read the first 11 verses of this before we go back and take a look at it. Notice, it says, Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and to those who reared Ahab's son. Remember, Jezebel and Ahab were, were husband and wife, and they were the worst king and the worst queen that Israel has ever known. They, they were like the worst. <laughs> And so God is going to bring judgment and has brought judgment. We know in previous chapters Ahab has already been dead, or already killed. And now Jezebel, we looked last week, she finally uh, goes the way of, of the world. And now, um, so Yehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel to the elders and to those who reared Ahab's sons saying now as soon as this letter comes to you since your master's sons are with you and you have chariots and horses a fortified city also and weapons choose the best qualified of your master's sons set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house but they were exceedingly afraid and said look two kings could not stand up to him how then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all that you tell us, but we will not make any one king. Do what is good in your sight. And then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, Take the heads of the men, your master 's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow now the king 's sons, seventy persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them and so it was when the letter came to them that they took the king 's sons these are ahab 's sons there in Samaria in the town of Samaria, and they put their head i 'm sorry, and they slaughtered um, The the 70 sons put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jezreel. This is not the kind of gift basket you're looking for on Christmas, you know. So, then a messenger came and told him, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. And so it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people who, he says, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him, but who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Yehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left none remaining. None remaining. So here Yehu, who used to be Yehu used to be Jehoram. Remember, Jehoram was the king of um, uh, of Israel, and he was also Jehoram or Joram. Uh, he was also a king of Judah. These two kingdoms had two kings at the same time with the same name. It can be really crazy when you're reading through these um, these passages to keep them straight. And so, so let's go back and, and look at uh, verse one here and. Um, so, he, Ahab, you know, he has these 70 sons. And Yehu, who was his commander of his army, he was the commander of Ahab's army. But when Ahab died, he was a commander of uh, uh, Jehoram or Joram's army there as, as well. And so he sends letters to Samaria. Now, this Yehu evidently is in Jezreel, and Jezreel is up in the northern part of Israel. If this is the Sea of Galilee, and this is the, the Dead Sea, uh, Jezreel is just to the south uh, west of the Sea of uh, or the the Sea of Galilee, and and then about twenty five miles further south is the town of Samaria, where is the capital city of the northern ten tribes. And so, so Yehu is in Jezreel. He sends messages, uh, letters, down there about 25 miles away. And he tells them, as soon as you hear this, you know, I know you're a fortified city. Choose the best qual- uh, qualified of your master's sons and put him on the throne and fight for your master's house. Notice what he said there in verse 3, because this was something that was expected. Because once... Yehu killed Joram, which we heard about last week, the next son in line to the throne would be placed on his father's throne. That was the normal way of doing things. And so Yehu suspected that there might be a battle in the short term. So he is basically saying, do what you've got to do and let's get this on. In other words, put the next son on the throne. We're coming and set your battle in array. We're going to do this, right? And notice verse 4, but they were exceedingly afraid. And they said, look, two kings could not stand up to Yehu. How, can that, how then we, can we stand? And the two kings that were killed, remember Yehu killed Joram, the king of Israel, and he also killed Ahaziah, the king of Judah. And so now both of these kingdoms are without a king, and they got to have a successor. And Yehu, being the commander of Joram's army, had no doubt the hearts of the men. And he had a big army on his side. So they were already with him. And so these people in Samaria, where the king used to live, the capital city, with all of his 70 you know, descendants running around, you know, they finally said, you know what, there's no way. If he defeated these two kings, we're basically toast. So we either got to surrender or have some kind of agreement. And that's exactly what happened. And um and so uh, so it says in verse 5 that he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the cities, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, they send to Yehu the, the message, We are your servants. We'll do what you tell us. <laughs> we have no way of winning against you. So you know what? We're going to do whatever you tell us to do. And these men were fearful of the power, certainly of the influence that Yehu had. And they didn't want to do anything that might insinuate that they were going to go to war against him. They weren't going to be foolish enough to put a, uh, the, the next heir on the throne, because by doing that, they're already instigating war. And so they're like, we're not even going to do that. Whatever you want us to do, we're going to do. And so he sent a second letter, verse 6, if you're willing uh, to obey me and you're with me, then take the heads of the men, your master's son, and, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. So there's a 25-mile uh, hike between Jezreel and Samaria. So back at that time they didn't have iPhones. They couldn't just text and say, Hey, can you um, take care of this business? You know, send it a direct message, you know, through Facebook or something, you know, so nobody can see it publicly and hey, can you grab you know, just cut the heads off of all of Ahab's sons, bring them up about this time tomorrow, you know, it's about six o'clock, bring them up, you know. He couldn't do that. They had to send a horse back. So a horse goes twenty five miles, gives them the message, and they comply. They comply. And this was a scheme that Yehu had concocted, which basically was kill and bring me the heads of Ahab's sons. And then there'll be no issues. We can move on from here. Um, there won't be a big bloodshed on the field. It'll just be, uh, you give us what we want and we're done kind of a deal. So it was, verse 7, when the letter came, that they took the king's sons and they did that. They slaughtered them and they put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jezreel. And Jehu, remember, was doing what the Lord had told him to do, what he had really commissioned him to do. It would not, however, absolve him of his cruel wickedness because intermingled with God's command for him to wipe out the sons of Ahab and Ahab's line, there was some things that Yehu did as he continued, and we're going to see this as we go on, that God didn't ask him to do. And so isn't it funny how God can tell us to do one thing and then we'll do that thing, but then we'll do some other things too. And God just says, no, I I just want you to do this. Just do this. And we're like, okay, I'll do that, but I'm going to have a little fun along the way too. I've got some other business I want to attend to, and the Lord's gone." Do what I told you to do. And he does with an asterisk. (laughs) He does do what God wants him to do. And you may be wondering, why would God have somebody kill a line of people? Well, because of sin and idolatry. See, in our culture today, that's just, I can't believe God would do that. Well, didn't he do that with the Canaanites? Didn't he give them hundreds of years to repent until finally he brings his people out of Egypt, brings them into the land of Canaan, and God would make a statement, because of their idolatry and they have not repented, I want you to go into that town and wipe out every single person. Yes, men, women, and children, and all the livestock. I want you to take it all out. I don't want any remnant of this. I don't want any remembrance of this. And God has the right to do that. And that shocks most people because we have become so light on sin anymore. Sin doesn't really mean a big deal to us anymore. But God takes sin very seriously. What does the Bible say? The man who sins shall surely die. Yes, your sin, depending on what it is, may lead you to a physical death. If you're a crack addict or or a heroin addict, it may lead you to death. And I've known people who have, it's taken their life. But it gets even worse than that, because it's not only just a physical life, it's an eternal life. Yes, eternity in hell. It's true. And let me tell you something, it breaks the heart of God. What does it tell us in Genesis? I will not always strive with man. There comes a point when we are in our rebellion, we refuse to turn, we continue on like a stubborn mule, and God says, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, and that's why he sent the prophets to warn them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and he tells them for years, don't do this, don't do this, and finally God says, all right, I'm drawing a line in the sand, you're done, you're toast. And I'm bringing in Babylon, and they're going to wipe you all out, and they're going to take many of you captive into Babylon for 70 years. But I'm not going to be done with you completely. I'm going to chasten you, and I'm going to judge you for your sin. But I'm going to bring you back to this land after 70 years, and I will speak peaceably to you, and I will love you, and I will restore you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? See, God is a God of judgment, but he's a God of grace. So it behooves us then, doesn't it? As we read, as we learn about these things, to don't take a light touch with sin in our lives. Deal with it crucify it. That's what the Bible says, crucify these members in our flesh, fornication, adulteries, you know, backbitings, whisperings, gossiping, all of these things. He says crucify them and do it not tomorrow, but do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow because you may not have tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I want to I I put my head on the pillow having prayed at the end of the night and wake up in glory. <laughs> that's the way I would love to go out, you know, like after a Thanksgiving meal. You know, I get all my, I, I pray and I'm like, Lord, thank you and forgive me for all my sins that I've committed today for the two apple pies that I ate and the pumpkin pie with all that whipped cream. Forgive me for that, Lord. And, uh, and then in the middle of the night, I <sniffs> a brain aneurysm or something and I'm in glory. It's a great way to go. And it's especially great if your team won that day. You know, you know if, you're, if Dallas won, you know, on, on Thanksgiving Day, and then you, anyway. So, but here it is. Check this out. So, Yehu was doing what God had told him. However, he went a little too far. Actually, he went a quite a bit too far. But notice what it says. Just write these references down because of time, and I'm going to read them to you. Because here is where God uh, spoke and, and, and gave in advance. What Yehu was going to do. The first one is in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 6-10. through 10. So Yehu is commissioned by God to carry out these things by one of the sons of the prophets that Elisha had sent. Remember that? And this was the message that um, Yehu... Uh, you know, about him. He says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. So God is speaking to Yehu before he did all this. And you shall strike down, here's the, here's the command, the commission. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, because Jezebel killed all of the prophets of the Lord, killed many of them, hundreds of them. And God is saying, I didn't forget what she did. And I didn't forget what Ahab did either. And it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him. That I may, and there's the purpose of it. God wasn't doing it just to be mean. No, there was a reason that God was going to strike down the house of Ahab. It was that he might avenge the blood of his servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I shall make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel. We saw that last week, that finally did come to pass. And there shall be none to bury her. And then we're going to see that Ahaziah's execution wasn't something that God specifically told him to do. We're going to see, you know, we saw that last week. He was killed. He wasn't supposed to be the one uh, to be killed. God said to take away um, uh, Ahab's uh, family, but there's a twist here because um, it could be argued that because Ahaziah shared the bloodline of Ahab, that that was the reason that Yehu killed him. Because remember, Ahaziah was the son of Jehoram and Athaliah. Jehoram was the king of Judah, and his wife, Athaliah, was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So now, because of the union between Jehoram and Athaliah of the line of, of Ahab, Ahaziah was the king. And so perhaps that is why he killed him. But it may have been stretching what was prophesied or commissioned by God. But God will commend him later on in this chapter. We'll see it in verse 30. He will commend him for doing what God had told him to do. And this is amazing to me because God commends him for the things that he did that was justified but still held him accountable for the other evil things that he did. The things that God didn't tell him to do, he holds him accountable for that. And isn't that funny? You, you know, in America and people, you know, oh, you did a great job. We don't want to talk about the bad things. But you know, you did a great job on this other thing. God's like, no, you did a good job here, but you really blew it here. <laughs> and I love the brutal honesty of, of God. He's honest because he loves. And love doesn't lie. He can't lie. He's not gonna lie to us. So Yehu started off on this good foot. Somewhat, but then caved into corruption. And unfortunately, that is common with uh, to many men in leadership. And, and, and even in the church and outside of the church, they start well, but they, many of them don't end well. David got into trouble in his reign, and certainly Solomon did too. But notice, verse 8, Then a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons, and he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate, and, and that's the gate at Jezreel, of course, until morning. And so it was in the morning that they went out and stood and said to all the people, you are righteous. <coughs> Excuse me. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. And he's speaking of Joram, because he killed Joram, the king of Israel. But who killed all these? And so now Yehu is feigning like, who killed all these people? So he's playing a game, and he's baiting these people in Jezreel, and he's using it and, to give him the justification to find out who killed them and then kill the ones that he asked to kill. He's going to kill the people, the men that he asked to kill the 70 sons. So it's a very deceptive way of of doing it. And yet he did fulfill what God had asked him to do. So he was deceptive, He didn't disclose that he had ordered them to be killed. And then he further gratified himself with the people by claiming that they had all fulfilled the word of the Lord by Elijah because, you know, um, because Yehu killed, um, Yehu killing Joram and Ahaziah, the sons of uh, and the descendants of Ahab, and then Ahab's leaders killing the 70 descendants of Ahab. And he says, verse 10, Now, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So now he's playing like some kind of pious man. And ingratiating himself by, oh, we did the word, we did, the, we did God's will in this. So there were two things that God had spoken to Elijah, Remember in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 15, when Elijah was at Mount Horeb when he had fled from Jezebel, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, do these three things. Anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel. By the way, Nimshai, his name means... Um, uh, weasel, isn't that fun? And uh, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebel-Meholah, shall you anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill, and whoever escapes the, escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. Now why did God want these people killed? Because they were idol worshippers, And the more that the, the sins uh, continued, the more it spread like a cancer. And so the only way to get rid of a cancer is to cut it out. And God was very serious about it because it was destroying his people. Write this reference down, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 19. And it says, and this is when God condemns Ahab by Elijah the prophet. And this is what was spoken. You shall speak to him. God speaking to Elijah, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. And so Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he said, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. And this is God using Elijah to bring this condemnation on Ahab. And look what he tells, it. He tells him in advance what he's going to do. He says, I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebad, and like the house of Baasha. Because of the provocation with which you provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And isn't it interesting that God can use a man like Yehu, whose propensity is to do evil, he uses him to fulfill God's judgment upon another evil person. God can use an evil man or an evil nation to be the hammer of judgment on another person or uh, another nation. And we we see it here. I mean, God used Babylon. He used Assyria, an ungodly, idol-worshiping nation, to come against his own people and take the northern tribes in captivity in 722 B.C., And then when Judah and Benjamin didn't learn the lesson from their sisters up north, God allowed in 586, or in 606, actually, to come and take them captive. These ungodly nations come as a hammer against his own people, and then God would ultimately judge those nations because those kings acted of their own volition. And this is the mystery of the will of God, and this is the mystery of the will of man. You know, here, God tells him specifically what to do, but he didn't tell Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in in a a sense, personally, you know, this is what you need to do. Of his own volition, of his own hatred for the people of God, he did those things. And the same thing with Assyria. They came against them. But God would ultimately judge them as well. It's a a bitter thing to, to see and to understand, but you see it in the word of God. And so Yehu, verse 11, killed all who remained in the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left none remaining. And there is a possibility here in verse 11 that Yehu, here is where he may have overstepped his bounds. Because he killed more people here than what God had sanctioned. And we believe that because of a... Uh, something that is in Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. You might want to write this reference off to the side of chapter or verse 11 here because God, speaking through the prophet Hosea, said this. Because remember, God says, these are the things I want you to do, but Je- Yehu did even more. He-, he killed even more people when God didn't want him to kill those people. And we know this because what, is, what it says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. And this was when God spoke to Hosea, the prophet, concerning the name of his firstborn son. And this is what he says. Then the Lord said to him, call his name, your firstborn son, Hosea, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So God ultimately held him accountable and will hold the nation and his line accountable for what he did. He did what God told him to do, but he added a little bit more and a little bit more. And again, it's a dangerous thing to do. Just simply do what God says for us to do. You know, that's always a good thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? Just to do what God wants us to do. Now, thank God he doesn't call us today to go out and, you know, that this was a different time and and, and these were his people, that he was going to use this people group to bring the scriptures through them and ultimately through this people that he wanted to set apart from all the nations, all the peoples in the world, he wanted to set them apart because guess what? From that line, from that people group would come the savior of the world. And so he's going, I want these people to be unique. I want them to be holy. I want them to be separate from the world. And do you think that Satan knew the prophecies that we have talked about, about Jesus coming through the line of David and through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and and down to Judah and then through David and then finally to Jesus Christ? Do you think he knew all that? Oh, yeah. Satan knows the Bible better than you and I, folks. He knows the Bible. And as soon as Israel became a nation, he attacked it because he wanted to thwart the plan of God or at least thought he could thwart the plan of God. But guess what? You're not thwarting the plan of God. You can't play chess with God and win. (laughs) It is impossible. I've said this before because I'm a chess player. I love to play chess, but to have somebody sit down with me and say I've already won, and I'm like you haven't even moved a piece yet. Well, go ahead and you'll find out that I'm winning, and I'll win in a very just a few moves. And I'm not even going to do the queen's gambit. You know the thing that everybody. I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to do something different. You're not. Just go ahead and try. Try me. You're already finished. It's unfair. Don't try to play chess with God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows my thoughts. So you're going to move the knight to, to uh, El Fora? You're going to move your bishop to C6? <laughs> I saw it coming. You know, checkmate. But notice now in verse 12. So he he continues on and and he arose, Yehu, and he departed, and he went now to Samaria. So he's left Jezreel, he's going down now to Samaria. And on the way at beth Akid of the shepherds, Yehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Now, at this time, we don't believe that his, these, these 42 men that we're going to encounter here, we don't believe they had any idea of what had just happened. This happened very quickly. They didn't have uh, text messaging and all that. News traveled slowly. And so um, these men didn't know what, what had just happened, the coup that he did and how he killed uh, you know, the Jezebel. And so they're, they're not really aware of what Yehu is up to. So he Yehu met the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said to them, who are you? And they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. We've come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother, speaking of Jezebel. But guess what? Jezebel was already dead. They just didn't even know it. And by the way, Ahaziah was dead, and they probably didn't know that either. Had they known that, they probably would have fled. They had no idea. They were caught unawares. And so what does Yehu say, verse 14? Take them alive and so they took them, and notice, they killed them at the well of Beth Akid, 42 men, and he left none of them. He left none of them. And Again, it's debatable on whether these men were ones that God wanted to exterminate. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. But Yehu at this point is just a killing machine. Anybody who is even remotely um, related or has some kind of friendship, or he was just killing people. So now, verse 15, when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is going toward Is toward your heart? And Jehonadab said, It is. And Yehu said, If it is, give me your hand. And so he took him by this hand, and he took him up into his chariot, and then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Notice that. Yehu is already bragging about his exploits that he has done and doing it in the name of God. And, and little does he know at this point, he's already overstepped his bounds because he's killing all these people. Certainly he's done the right thing, but he's also done these other things. But now, come and see my zeal for the Lord. And when he came to Samaria, notice, and certainly Jehonadab is with him. He killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Again, he was supposed to do certain things and he did those things, but he did some other things that he shouldn't have done. He wasn't completely obedient. So verse 18, then Yehu gathered all the people together and he said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Yehu will serve him much. So when you look at this immediately, um, uh, this is trickery on Yehu's part because uh, the people uh, believed him and they didn't understand his plot and what he was doing. And they uh, he must have had uh, been a convincing actor because he was killing and ridding Israel of those who committed Baal worship. So why are you now, you know, you've killed the people who are committing Baal worship, but now you're saying you're going to worship Baal? It seems like a kind of, they didn't know that yet. All these things were happening in a very quick succession, and by the time he had killed all these people, all that knowledge wasn't out yet. Do you follow me? And so that's how he was able to do this. And so, again, he must have been a convincing actor, um, because now he's going to kill the people that he, or he's going to worship the God of the people that he had just killed. So it doesn't make sense. So the only way that he could have pulled this off was either, number one, as I said, the news didn't travel quick enough so that the people realized what he was really up to. He was a great actor, number two. Maybe thirdly, all the kings of the north, they were wicked, and so worshiping false gods was something they were very accustomed to, so why not Yehu? He's Everybody's been worshiping Baal, so you're no different, right? So, or the Lord could have caused them to be blind to his real motives. All of those things could be true all at the same time. So verse 19, now therefore, so this is what he does. He, he, he says, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants. And, and, and this was a very uh, deceptive trick to get them on. And, and did he accomplish what God had told him to do? Yes, he did. He did. Call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. And he's you know, lying through his teeth here. Whoever is missing shall not live. In other words, make sure everybody comes. I want this place, this this temple of Baal. I want it to be filled with worshipers. We're going to have a great time tonight. We're going to have a big sacrifice. It's going to be a big deal. Everyone must come. If you're a Baal worshiper and you're not here, we're going to put you to death. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. But Yehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Yehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And then Yehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. And so they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And so he brought out vestments for them. And then Yehu and then the son of Rechab went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of Jehovah are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. I want this to be a moment that we'll never forget. <laughs> and it was going to be a moment they would never forget. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. And now Yehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, If any of the men Whom I have brought into your hands escapes. Whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. So it was really important that nobody got away. Now what happened, verse 25, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Yehu said to the guard of the captains, go in and kill them, let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword and then the guards and the officers threw them out and then they go into the inner temple of the temple of Baal and they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and they burned them and then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal which is evidently a different image that they had in the temple of Baal. They tore that down. And, um, and Baal, and made it refuse, um, and, and made it a refuse dump to this day, it says. And then verse 28 says, And thus Yehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So Baal worship, all of its worshipers were vanquished by really four different people Hazael, Elijah. Remember the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? He was part of it too. Elisha was part of this. And finally, Yehu. And God said that for that to be that way. And why? Is it because God is is an angry, hateful God? No, he he loves people. But when people are bent on evil, there does come a point where God will judge that, that people group. He will. He doesn't want to. He'd much rather have them turn and live, right? I mean, that's what it says in Deuteronomy. You know, I put before you life and death. Choose life. Why should, you choose? Why should you continue in your rebellion and die? That's God's heart. But the other side of God that you know, none of us will see if we're believers, we'll never see the wrath of God. The wrath of God is scary. The wrath of God is real. And the wrath of God is something that scared me into the kingdom. I'll be honest with you. When I heard about the wrath and the love of God, I responded to his love, and I also understood the wrath of God as much as I could understand. And I ran into his arms, convulsively crying and begging him to forgive me for my sin. It's okay if you come to Christ out of fear, because I did. I was fearful of what was going to happen to me. Let me guess. Eternity of damnation or eternity in heaven? Ah, That's a really tough one. Of course you're going to choose an eternity in heaven. But you have to go on his terms. His terms aren't grievous, are they? You simply have to believe that you're a sinner and believe that your sin was judged in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And by your belief in him, that is what you're, how you're going to get to heaven. Pretty simple terms, I think. Pretty easy terms, in a sense, right? But I, I, gotta, I gotta confess my sin, and I gotta realize that I'm not a good guy. The Bible says that none, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person born is not born inherently good. No, the Bible says that when we are born, we are inherently evil. <laughs> and that's the truth. And you have to believe that in order to, get your, to for, for Christ to forgive you, you have to understand that you have a sin nature and you have sinned against God and there's no other hope for you unless you do there's no other way you can't give your way into the kingdom you can't say I'm sorry enough you can't do prison time and expect to get believe me there's people who have committed sins and done their jail time and have served their time got out of jail and when they die they're going to hell because they've never given their heart to Christ they may have served the man's law but God says the man who sins shall surely die but you must put your faith in my son and I did did you, I believe we all have, and I hope you all have, because he 's a loving God. I mean there's nothing bad about Jesus at all, but we have to come on his terms, we have to come on his terms. This whole thing we 're not going to take the time to go here, but I would encourage you to read right here um, at verse twenty eight I want to want you to write a verse in your in your Bible. Because it's really interesting the con or the the similarities between Samson and the Philistines, because samson, uh this judge of Israel before the kings uh, before the the monarchy, he was a judge in Israel, and uh, he he brought the whole house down literally you may remember, uh, on the Philistine temple of Dagon, and it's a very similar thing that happened here with vanquishing Baal from Israel's presence. You know, just vanquishing it altogether. It's in Judges chapter 16, verses 23 through 30. You can read about that another time, but very similar to what we just read. So going on here now, it says verse 29, however, Yehu, now notice after all of this, so he did do what God wanted him to do, but he did these other things that he wasn't supposed to do. But, however, Yehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and at Dan. These two centers of worship, after all that he tasted of, of of being obedient to God somewhat, he tasted to see that the Lord was good. But you know what? It just never, the seed never took root he continued in idolatry with the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Verse 30, And the Lord said to Yehu, Because you have done well, notice, the, this is interesting, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the, on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Did that happen? Yes, it did. This literally came to pass. Yehu's dynasty was the fifth dynasty of the nine dynasties of the kingdom of Israel. There were nine dynasties. In Judah and Benjamin, there was only one dynasty, the Davidic dynasty. In the southern two tribes, it was father to son, father to son, father to son. One dynasty, but not the kingdom of Israel that had nine different dynasties. And this... Was the fifth dynasty for the, for the northern ten tribes, and it lasted until the fourth generation. And uh, the first one was Jehoiahaz, uh, immediately following uh, Yehu after his death. Uh, he ruled from 814 to 798 BC, and then his son, Joash, or Jehoash, reigned from 798 to 782. And then uh, Jer- Jeroboam two. Uh, He was co-regent with his father, Joash, from 793 to 753. And then finally, Zechariah, the last of the fifth dynasty of Jehu, began, he reigned from 753 to 752, just one year, just one year. And so that literally took place. And then after that, there was a new king who was not of the line of Zechariah. So that fifth dynasty got scrubbed out just as God had said. And that was yet future to what we're reading and it literally came to pass. And how can God do that? Because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows history before it happens. That's why he can write to us you know, the book of Revelation. He can write the things that are yet future to us as if they had already happened. God can write them as if they are already finished. Because he knows, he can see, and to me, that's a, what a wonderful God we serve. You know, in, a, in, in times of uncertainty and the things that are going around that make no sense, God gives us this wonderful stability. He gives us this, his word to tell us these things, and it settles your heart. Does it settle your heart to know what's happening, to know what's coming in the future? I don't know about you, but I, I like that because I've read the end, and it's really good for us. <laughs> It's really good for Christians. For those who believe in Christ, it's very good. And unfortunately, for those who don't, it is not good. And there's why we share, right? But Yehu, notice verse 31, he took no heed to walk in the law of God. Even after that experience of doing what God had said, you know, uh, he was still a bad boy, <laughs> and he didn't end well. But Yehu took no heed to walk in the law of Jehovah God of Israel with all of his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to, to sin. And It is insanity. It is foolishness to the highest degree to not want to follow God and obey him. It's just foolishness. And then to hear him say in verse 16, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And then to have Yehu disregard the Lord completely and continue following idolatry and the worship of devils. Because, again, I said this before, but when we worship anything other than Jesus Christ, we are worshiping a demon. In 2 Chronicles 11, verse 15, it says, Then he, Jeroboam, Appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols which he made. There it is. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7. God speaking, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. Paul in Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 18, he says, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. There it is. When we worship anything other than Jesus, we are worshiping demons. Even a false Jesus. There are people today who don't worship. They worship a Jesus of their own making. They worship a Jesus that allows them to continue in their fornication. Well, it's love. It's love. You know, God's a God of love, and He's not going to judge because we love each other. And, you know, heterosexuals or homosexuals, it doesn't matter. Fornication and adultery is sin. And if you think that you can get away with saying that. This is my God whom I worship, and this is the Jesus. Well, I got news for you. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's a Jesus that you have made in your own mind. And therefore, that Jesus, whom you think is allowing you to do these things, you're serving a demon because you're not serving Jesus Christ. It's that simple, folks. Tough pill. But that's what people need to hear. The Jesus of the Bible. And how do you know this Jesus of the Bible? Well, you have to read his word. You have to know him. And when you know him and you know his character, and his character is love, it is. God is is love. But he does not and never will tolerate adultery or fornication of any kind, whether it's a heterosexual couple or a homosexual couple. It makes no difference. It is sin. And if you think that your God is going to allow you to do that, you're you're worshiping a false Christ. And didn't Jesus say in the end times that many people will worship false Christ? And they will follow false Christs? Christ that have nothing to do with this at all, but a Christ of their own making. And see, this is why it's important for us to abide in Christ. After all that had went through, even tasting and being part of God's program. And then immediately afterward, just walking away from it and continuing in his devil worship. We need to abide in Christ. What, what does abide mean? It literally means to... to uh, to have a permanence, to find a home, to settle in. You know, Jesus said in John 15, remember, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear good fruit, he takes away. And every branch that uh, bears uh, fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And here it is, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And even right now, in many of our houses, there's a tree sitting in a, <laughs> in a vase. And you got water at the base, Right? So what's happening? He is the vine, and we are the branches. Without the Spirit of God, without the water in the, in the bottom, that tree doesn't get nutrients. It can't pass that life to the branches. And we, Jesus said we were even to be the light of the world, and, and, and our witness is to be a light of the world. And think of those lights, and this is a way you can redeem the, the whole tree thing. I mean, I don't worship a Christmas tree. It's pretty. We do it. It's a tradition. And, and, and I've heard people, and that's okay. If you don't want to do it, it's fine. You know, and... You know, I can, you can redeem it. <laughs> the lights, that's our witness. That's the things that we do for Christ. You are the light of the world, he says. He is the light of the world, but he says, now you are the light of the world. You, you be that witness to me. But see, Yehu was a double-minded man. He was unstable in all of his ways. This word double-minded means dipsychos psychos in the Greek, and it literally means two-spirited, somebody who is vacillating between two different things, and that's exactly what he was. He was a double-minded man. He enjoyed the feeling and the rush of encouragement in doing the will of God, but the seeds of salvation that were planted didn't go down far, and he was quickly taken out of the way by his own will and by his own actions. And so finally in verse 32, we're gonna finish here. Thank you for your patience. And notice what it says. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Arorar, which is the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. And now um, now the rest of the acts of Yehu and all that he did and all of his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so uh, everything to, if you were to, again, look at your map of Israel with uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and then the Dead Sea, everything to the east the King of Assyria, the King of Syria took away. He eventually conquered it all. So Yehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And then Jehoahaz his son reigned in his place. And the period that Yehu reigned over Israel in Samaria, was 28 years, 28 years from 841 BC to 814 BC. So an unfortunate thing, you know, a man who started off well but didn't end well. And see, God wants us to start off well and to continue to end well, right? And to me, that's the takeaway from tonight is don't allow yourself to get into that place where, you know, you're starting off well and you just kind of fall off the, off the, off the edge, you know, and that's why like i said read john 15 again abide in christ that means abiding means a place of permanence stay in the word stay in prayer make it a part of your life to be in the word every single day make it a part of your life to be in prayer every day with your with your wife or your kids make it a point of your life to be in fellowship like you are tonight, you know, and on Sunday morning, you know, be in fellowship, get built up, learn more about who you are and about who God is, and then take that information and take that and share it with everybody you can because that's the whole point of the whole thing, to go into all the earth, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? That's what God wants us to do. So let's do that. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we come before you, and, and Lord, we know that this uh, time of year is is very distracting for us, and um, we ask, uh, Heavenly Father, that Lord, that we would that we would end well. Lord, you've you've brought us through, you've saved our souls, and and Lord, life has a way of just chipping away at us causing compromise, and Lord, whenever we notice these things, Lord, help us to run into your arms again and confess our sin, and Lord, you send us away having our sin forgiven and, and with, new, with a new sense of, of uh, vitality, Lord, because of your spirit and because of how you can forgive us when we confess our sin to you, Lord, and I pray that, Lord, we would, all of us, every single one of us, Lord, that we would finish very well, Lord, that we would continue to abide in Jesus Christ. And so help us tonight, Lord. Help us this week and help us, Lord, to keep our focus this time of year, especially when things are going crazy and there's so many expectations, so many uh, expectations placed upon us to do this or to to do that. Lord, help us to do only those things that you want us to do. And so may you receive the glory and the honor in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.